Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And welcome to the podcast. We are going to talk about three big stories today. Number one, is Roe versus Wade dead? A lot of people are very interested in that question in light of the recent sort of shadow docket decision by the United States Supreme Court. Secondly, we're going to talk about loitering laws in California and the sort of intersection with sex work. A lot of people have uh, concerns about human sex trafficking and also a, an approach to maybe just get rid of loitering laws, but it could have an unintended consequence. And finally, we're going to follow up on our qualified immunity story of a few weeks ago, where we looked into whether folks may sue cops for alleged abuse. Uh, we had a listener uh, inspire an additional look at this topic. So we're going to get to all three of those. Plus, uh, we're going to play the Guess the Verdict game. Connor mm. is going to once again try to win huge cash prizes. Succeed. Succeed. Uh, and Not this try. One, and there this is, is no a try. very end of the episode today. It's all about an amateur erotic picture contest oh. that wound up <laughs> in right. court. So Connor's going to have to be guessing the outcome there. Before we get to our first... Fortunately, I'm an expert in this topic. Good, good. You're going to have an unfair advantage. Yeah. So before we get to uh, whether Roe versus Wade is dead, I wanted to sort of advance the story we talked about last week on whether uh, Robert Kennedy's killer, Sirhan Sirhan, should be paroled. Because mm. now we have Governor Newsom's take. Oh, good. Uh, you remember I, I you mentioned... You criticized. You said, weigh in. We need to know how our governor's going to know, uh, well, going to vote. Yeah. I mean, going to, you know, weigh in. Because he gets the topic. final call right. on, on whether to spring Sirhan from Not prison. a vote. It's a one-person vote, but yeah. That's right. So the two uh, commissioners, the parole commissioners, uh, decided a week or so ago, yeah, he should be let out. But the next step is the full board decides... And the final step is the governor says, yeah, well, I get to make the final call, either yes or no, or, or, or just try again next year. So I was saying that Republicans who want to unseat Newsom in this recall deal are going to be criticizing him, saying, you better, you know, you better vote for us because you know that Newsom isn't, he's not willing to say he will keep Sirhan in prison. So here's the problem in defense of Newsom. He kind of really shouldn't be saying now whether he's going to spring Sirhan mm. because he would be prejudging the case. He has to wait for the input from the parole board, okay. see what they say, see sure. the basis for I their... I think we did talk about that yesterday. We said, should he wait for the input of the parole board? Not right. yesterday, last week. Right. Um, and, and I think we did kind of come down on he should wait for the in input of the parole board. That makes sense. Right. But here's what I wanted to mention. He's kind of being cute about this. He's, he's always cute. He's teased. Absolutely. No body fat Newsom. He's teasing us. <laughs> with his take on the case. He's saying, I can't opine on the parole deal because, you know, uh, I have to wait for the parole board's recommendation. It would be but, like a judge. But... And Robert this is, F. Kennedy was a Democrat. Yeah, and, and kind of a... You were kind of on to it, Connor. What? Here's what he says. Quote, I won't opine on it except to say this. 
anybody that's ever walked into my office. You have to walk by photographs of Bobby Kennedy's funeral procession, those famous train photos. The first photograph, the only photograph you will see in my office is a photo of my father and Bobby Kennedy just days before Bobby Kennedy was murdered. To emphasize his point, Newsom added, so I hope that gives you a sense of my sentiments as it relates to Bobby Kennedy, in particular my reverence, my respect, and my adulation for his family uh, and memory. So that's a way to kind of wink-wink signal that he's never going to let him out. Maybe, maybe. And do you think that's really fair? Because if I were uh, the lawyer for Sirhan, I would be almost as upset about that comment as a comment that said, hell no, I'm never going to let the guy out. I've already made my mind up. I don't know. A, a, the per, the person who, I, as you and I both experienced, you're arguing in front of a panel of judges. Right. And those judges, uh, sometimes the, the one that is secretly going to go your way is giving you the hardest time ahead of time as a way to sort of solidify their position. Well, if I was hard to him in oral argument, then I and I came down on his side of the argument. Well, he must he must have really been correct. He must have really answered all my tough questions. And so maybe Newsom is laying down the well, you know, I'm the bi- I'm the world's biggest fan of RFK. But and then coming down that way, never know. Could be. Guess you what? Get, I'm going to bet. I'm going to bet a Tommy's burger uh, okay. with you, and we'll see. I'm All right, he'll never let him out. Double, no pickles. Uh, oh, sure. ex- extra tomatoes. Chili just cheese like mom. Chili cheese burger, obviously. Exactly right. The other thing that I uh, wanted to comment about on the Sirhan story is remorse. Uh, is this really remorse? Number one, he doesn't admit he did it. Mm, yeah, that, he that, says, that, oh, you know, it's blurry. I've kind of forgotten. It's been sure. so many years. That's that's wonderful remorse when he says things like well you know if i did it that would have been terrible i guess i'm i'm sort of really sorry he doesn't admit that he did the killing that's number one number two when they ask him will you kill again he can't even bring himself to say no of course i won't kill him again let me out instead he says I won't ever again put myself in jeopardy. That's how he puts it. I will not put myself in jeopardy. That's Sirhan Sirhan's way (sighs) of saying that he won't kill again. This guy was not not prepared for this uh, this parole. Well, maybe he's just being honest. 16 of them or whatever. Yeah, so he just doesn't deserve to be released. doesn't sound like it. I don't think so. Won't say that he won't kill again? All right, topic number one is Roe versus Wade dead. So Texas law, under the microscope in the last week or two, Texas legislature said no abortions after uh, the first six weeks of pregnancy. They feel that as soon as there's a heartbeat, and doctors disagree, but some say, well, there's a heartbeat about six weeks. As soon as there's a heartbeat at six weeks, doggone it, you can have an abortion before that, but not after that. Well, that's not the law, according to the U.S. Supreme Court under Roe and the Casey case in the 90s. Basically, it established it's the first trimester You have an absolute right for an abortion in the second trimester. eh, You have a right that's subject to regulations that don't impose an undue burden on women's rights. So clearly this approach violates the uh, the Roe versus Wade deal. So uh, the abortion providers... Uh, then sued the government, the district attorney, judges, and so on. Uh, and the abortion providers said, "Okay, this law is unconstitutional, and we would like a uh, we'd like uh, a stay put on this and uh, to have the law enjoined." And the U.S. Supreme Court it, it got up to them, and the U.S. Supreme Court said in a five to four decision, "No, we're not going to stop this law, even though basically everybody knows this law is unconstitutional because it violates Roe versus Wade." Right. So the Uh, procedural 
posture of this case and, and the way that SB 8, the Texas law, is drafted. And this, remember, this is the Texas state legislature, and it is saying we are transferring the power of enforcement from the hands of the Texas government into the hands of random individuals. So the way this law works is it says uh, the woman who's getting uh, the abortion. Random individuals being any Texan citizen who wants to sue an abortion provider, even though the citizen has nothing to do with the abortion. Exactly. They may sue and say, hey, you know, you're violating the law. We get penalties. We've got to return. Exactly. You get a $10,000 bonus plus, yeah, fees and everything else, which can be enormous. So this is uh, is a a situation where where Texas uh, smart conservatives who do not want abortions to ha- to happen craft this Texas law to give cover, to give plausible deniability to conservatives on the Supreme Court so that literally exactly this thing will happen. So the real question is, is this law, I mean, it, it, okay, there's no question that this law is not in good faith. I mean, sorry, it is in bad faith, right? This law is clearly designed to create a procedural hurdle that gives cover to the conservatives on the on the court who can overturn Roe in a strategic way. Right? And have a chilling effect on people so that the right. providers exactly. and, and women involved won't go for an abortion because right. they'll say, I'll get sued. Exactly. So what conservatives who don't like abortion and specifically the, the Supreme Court conservatives are saying is this presents a really complicated issue. We just don't know who the parties in a lawsuit should be. The case is called Whole Women's Health uh, versus whoever, because Whole Women's Health is an abortion provider who sued the state government of Texas, the people who passed the law. And they said, well, you can't do this. It's unconstitutional. And the Supreme Court looks at this and goes, oh, I just don't know. You might be they might be suing the wrong person because this empowers individual Texans to go out and sue people for money damages if they aid and abet abortion. And therefore, those people who are out there aiding and abetting abortion are the ones who get sued, not Whole Women's Health, uh, who, who, who get sued at some point in the future. And then they will have to bring lawsuits against the people who are filing those lawsuits, the, the, the bounty seekers, and maybe they will have to get up or maybe it will be somebody else who really knows who the right parties are here. They throw up their hands. They say it's an unsolvable you're, legal problem. You're right. And the point of it is that we get an unconstitutional law that is on the books and somehow the Supreme Court says we just can't look at it. I'm so sorry. This complicated, but, but the clever bigger question, argument. But the bigger question that a lot of people are concerned about, people in the pro-choice uh, movement, is that the issue of whether the fact five members of the Supreme Court voted the way they did, does that uh, preview the fact that they're going to dump Roe versus Wade? And a lot of uh, op-ed writers right. are saying, oh, yes, you know, the, the, the sky is falling. Yeah. You, you better go out and vote for Democrats. So they're using this uh, as, a, t- as mean, a political you're, you're tool. You're absolutely right. But here, here's why I think that, in fact, it doesn't signal okay. their intention to overrule Roe versus Wade. And again, this is the inside baseball deal. The um, the request in the lawsuit that went before the U.S. Supreme Court was to issue an injunction. The Supreme Court said injunctions are only issued in this context to stop acts by governmental officials like governors and DAs. Here, the governors and DAs specifically are told in the law, you have nothing to do with this law. This law just lets Joe Texan sue abortion providers. And so the way a challenge to this law could be teed up is if somebody in Texas sues an abortion doctor, the abortion doctor says, this violates Roe versus Wade, boom, it goes up to the Supreme Court, then an injunction would be proper. Now, you can say that this inside baseball distinction 
it lacks good faith, that as the minority in the Supreme Court said, you know, this is a plainly unconstitutional law, so why don't we strike it down now? But the fact is, there is a legal argument for saying no to the injunction. I personally don't think Kavanaugh and Gorsuch are going to want their legal epitaph to be that they dumped Roe versus Wade. I can see the other three conservatives, you know, Clarence Thomas, Alito, and Amy Coney Barrett, maybe they will. And we know uh, ha- uh, Thomas has hostility to Roe versus Wade. Yep. But I mean, do we really think that Kavanaugh and Gorsuch are going to get on the anti-abortion train? Do I think that Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, who just voted against abortion are going to get on for that inside baseball reason inside baseball reason is a complete bad faith terrible argument like this sb8 texas bill was written by smart lawyers from all over the country who are conservative who go to texas to preview the legislation that will come down in florida there's a copycat uh, legislation dropping soon and there's going to be another one in in 35 other conservative states wherein they all say let's we found a way that SCOTUS will allow us to regulate ourselves and thus ban abortion. And SCOTUS will throw their hands up and find a, a, a nonsense, bad legal argument for dodging this. I, imagine for one second if this law had instead of said aided and abetted abortion, said aided and abetting owning or buying a gun. If it said this law clearly is unconstitutional on its face as to the Second Amendment. But if you in any way facilitate anyone buying or owning a gun, I can sue you for a bounty of 10000 or 50000 or whatever dollars and my attorney's fees on top of that, which will be tens of thousands more. Um, and that will infringe, obviously, on your Second Amendment right. Duh. I mean, that's the whole point of right. the law. If that had gone up to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court would not have messed around with, oh, my gosh, I just don't know if we can handle this right now. It just presents a really complicated issue about, like, uh, who the party should be in front of it. No, they would have slapped it down so hard that the slap would have reverberated from sea to shining sea. They would have laughed them out of, they would have laughed this New York or California liberal state legislature out of here and said, you can't outsource enforcement to the lynch mob of bounty hunters in your state and then throw your hands up and go, well, what do you mean you're suing me? I specifically wrote this law that says you can't sue me. How well, can you do that? Well, you may be right and we'll know, I think, in the fall shortly. or shortly after because yeah. a Mississippi abortion challenge is on the Supreme Court stock at this Texas thing is you know, years away well, from this, getting back this to the, is the Supreme question. Court. Are we going to see Roe actually overturned and the court says Roe is dead letter, Casey is dead letter? No, they're not going to say those things. They're going to legislate around it. And I said legislate intentionally because they're legislators, these, these Supreme Court justices. They're going to build a, a framework in which Roe still exists in some form so that they can fundraise against it on the conservative side with their fans, obviously. They don't want to overturn Roe. Is 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 Mitch McConnell out there trumpeting? Great job, everybody. We beat Roe versus Wade. No, it's horrifically unpopular, and they know that. But the conservatives know they have to rule from the minority, and they've done that by stacking the judiciary. They've packed the court, and now they have to work within their one branch of government and their 45% voter you know, turnout and, and all this. They have to work from the minority and appease and fundraise from their base. And so this is all strategic. This is part of it. They know that they have to you know, find a way to leave Roe in place, but make abortion less accessible, especially to poor people, which is what this law does. Rich people who can leave the state and go to liberal states and get uh, abortions are always going to be able to go do that. No problem. Easy. They, they have been, you know, rich people have been getting abortions 
uh, for all of American history. It is always about access of the underprivileged to abortion that we're fighting over because it's about how many clinics there are and how many doctors there are and how far away they are and whether you can take time off work to get there and all the rest. That is, you know, the real question here. Is abortion going to be accessible for all as opposed to only the rich. Well, you put on your Karnak the Magnificent headdress. We'll find out <laughs> if you're right uh, in several months. Uh, when we get back, uh, when we come back, will California dump its loitering law to help sex workers? Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So we're talking about whether uh, the loitering law in California uh, should be dumped in order to help sex workers. So here's the background. California in 1995 passed an anti-loitering law. It was meant to crack down on sex workers. But State Senator Scott Weiner says it's discriminatory against transgender people. He says randomly mass arresting a bunch of trans women and black women for standing on the sidewalk, rounding everybody up and arresting them. That's not how we should combat human trafficking. That's a way to engage in abusive law enforcement and undermining trust in law enforcement. Uh, Survivors of sex trafficking worry that repealing the law would take away a mechanism from law enforcement that lets them intervene with sex workers and refer them to diversionary programs, educate them about human trafficking. So should we consider eliminating the uh, loitering law? And also, should we consider getting rid of prostitution laws, go the libertarian route? Uh, And would that hurt our anti-human trafficking effort on the theory that if there's more prostitution, then you're going to have more overseas sex trafficking providing people who are in that life? Well, I would say that the the big picture question, which we can tackle first, is you and I probably both uh, agree largely on uh, the existence of sex work, the fact that you know prohibition doesn't work, just like prohibition right. of uh, drugs and prohibition of uh, 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 abortion, uh, they don't work. You can't you can't prevent those things from happening. They should be safe and they should be legal, and uh, in my opinion, they should be heavily regulated. Um, and that is. Sort of the foundation that this should come from the sex work is work that sex workers are are there's nothing wrong with sex workers. They're they're good people who are, are doing a job and they're being persecuted by the government. And when the government does something like in acts in 1995, this anti loitering law, they're giving a blank check to uh, discriminatory uh police officers uh, to uh, to abuse people on the street, whether or not they're involved in sex work. I mean, the idea that a loitering law is on the book specifically, and everyone knows that it was passed mm-hmm. to to target sex workers. This is this is basically cops saying, look, we can't harass. We can't hassle. We can't stop. We can't frisk. We can't confiscate condoms and drugs and anything else that we find and money uh, from people on the street well enough under the current laws, which says sex Sex work is illegal. We don't want to have to prove that this person's involved in sex work. We just want to walk up, do absolutely no work and say, you know what? We drove past here 20 minutes ago and you were on the same street. We we say we claim that you were still here at the same time uh, uh, and are now here at the later time. And therefore, uh, you're loitering and we're going to arrest you, give you a ticket, confiscate the money in your pocket, claim that it's a result, the result of prostitution. Look at the fact that you've got uh, contraceptives of some kind, like maybe condoms in your pocket, confiscate those and tell you that those are evidence of prostitution. I mean, it's it's an incredible blank check to harass people. And people call this the the walking wall trap. Trans law, right? Uh, echoing the driving while black concept. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is it, these people are 
generally targeted by uh, law enforcement and society, uh, harassed, singled out, bothered uh, just for existing and enforcing these loitering laws, which are just a, just a blank check for cops to express their own biases, right? Like when you have a law that says you shouldn't murder, that's pretty clear. Those things, murders don't happen very often. And when they do happen, it's very important that they get uh, chased down and enforced, right? Versus extremely low level offenses like jaywalking or loitering. Mm -hmm. These are examples of things that uh, happen constantly that everybody does them or could be, you know, could be described as as doing them. And then it comes down to law enforcement's uh, decision about who to prosecute for these low-level crimes. And that becomes a, a vehicle for expressing your own biases and prejudices. Even if you are the best, nicest person in the world, and you're actually a good cop, and you're trying to do the right thing, and you get dropped into 2021 society, <clears throat> and your fellow cops all say, okay, go out and, and enforce the law. And you look at the law, and the law says loitering and you're set to patrol an area full of uh black and brown people full of sex workers full of trans people you might be a good person but who are you going to end up harassing on the street it's people who are visible people who jump out people who uh exemplify the biases that you have because you're a member of our society even if you're a good person and you're going to end up unfairly harassing and targeting these people and that's the whole point of the law. I mean, yeah, it's, no, no, you're right. Let me run some factoids by you from a, a recent Harvard Law and International Development study, though, uh, because it raises some questions about whether legalized prostitution increases human trafficking. They point out there are 27 million worldwide victims of human trafficking. That uh, is a $32 billion industry, second only to illegal drugs. Uh, on average, women trapped into sex work earn 2000 a year. They generate 29000 thousand dollars a year. So there is profit in it. And a study that evaluated data from 116 countries said countries with legalized prostitution have higher human trafficking inflows. Criminalizing prosecution in Sweden shrank human trafficking inflows and democracies have higher trafficking inflows than non-democratic countries, 13 percent higher. So I guess the question is, should libertarians be rethinking the drive to legalize sex work? Well, I mean, this is I think this is a good example of how I feel. Um, You know, my political position is that the libertarian position oversimplifies things and wants some sort of silver bullet. The idea of legalizing sex work without thinking at all about government regulation of sex work. You're right. That is dangerous. And to the extent that you have a, you know, just legalized sex work, don't think about ways that we protect these workers because it's inherently a dangerous, uh, you know, sort of uh, dangerous power dynamic. It's something that happens generally in private. It's not like, you know, know, if you if you make sex work different than it currently is. If you change our society's attitudes about sex, if you change the 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 the, the moral uh, the moralism and you change the stigma around it and you change all these the power dynamics between genders uh, and between sex workers and johns, if you change all those things, then maybe prostitution won't be an inherently 
uh, dangerous uh, job. But it will be for the foreseeable future. And there need to be massively powerful government interventions to protect sex workers in the same way that you have child labor laws and the same way that you have the eight hour day and the 40 hour work week and the, the five day work week and the, you know, everything else that we do to and overtime pay. We have these massive interventions to stop powerful forces from taking advantage of labor. And because if you take your hands off the wheel and you say, well, the market will solve it, guess what? The market pays effectively slave wages to people so that they can put food on the table and a roof over their head. They pay them one cent above what they will uh, accept before rioting and, and, and uh, starting a revolution. That's not the world we want to live in. And unfortunately, our sex work industry is mostly worse than that because a lot of people end up in sex work because they're desperate, because our society pushes them out of the normal labor market, and uh, basically they have nothing of worth to sell other than their bodies because we don't have uh, drug addiction treatment centers that can allow them to like get off of drugs and you know actually get educations, or we don't give those people opportunities when they're growing up and, and stay, you know, allow them to stay in school and help them stay in school so that they can actually, you know, succeed in the economy that we've defined as like these are legitimate jobs. We've told them you don't fit. You don't it doesn't work. You failed. You get out. You're you've taken drugs. You've committed crimes. You grew up in the wrong neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things mean you're not going to be a CEO. You get pushed out into the shadow economies of drugs and sex work and stuff like that. We need to fix those problems. So, Those are how we that's why we have human trafficking problems. That's why we have drugs and sex work so tightly tied, because you can take advantage of addicts so well and effectively human traffic them. Those are the problems we have. So you I need wanna, massive government regulation. So if you say, well, libertarian says make sex work uh, legal. Yeah, I'm on board. But that's one tenth of the process. Right. So, so as you know, I, I always give an incisive and substantive response to the, yeah. to the serious points you make. And yeah. so I, I would like to give one now. Uh -huh. When you refer to Johns as customers, that's awfully sexist. You know, we no longer call hurricanes by gals' names. Right. They're guys. Well, so I, I don't know. think we should use John. I think we should use like Marion because sure. Marion could be a guy or a girl. That's, ooh, I like yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. my response or Lauren. Yeah, to, Lauren to those very... A British man or an American woman. Theoretically, yeah, or depending on, uh, on the spelling also. Yeah. Uh, we are... Uh, uh, going to take a pause, and when we come back, qualified immunity on the docket. Yeah, and if you like the show, uh, check us out on whatever podcast platform you like, uh, whatever you use, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anything, and leave us a little comment. Uh, our third topic uh, of the uh, of the day, uh, of the week, has was actually sent in by a podcast listener who found found me on Twitter and uh, and uh, responded and said, hey, you should talk about this. You're absolutely right. Uh, find us on Twitter. Uh, at Connor M. Oaks, O-A-K-E-S. Uh, you can find my dad as well um, at Royal Oaks. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, tweet at us. Leave us a podcast review on your platform of choice and five stars. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll love you forever. Too Many Lawyers. We'll be right back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So qualified immunity. Uh, Connor, tell us about our listener response. And, and for those of you who heard us a few weeks ago, qualified immunity is another inside baseball deal. Yep. If uh, you're a guy walking down the street and a cop beats you up and he breaks your right arm and you want to sue him because he had no legal justification, sometimes cops are able to uh, prevent lawsuits like that by saying, oh, your honor, unless there has been a past lawsuit and court case establishing that what was done by the cop was 
is bad and actionable, then you should toss the suit out. And some critics of the doctrine say that courts come along and say, oh, well, it's not okay to break the right arm, but you got your left arm broken. And so they say it's nonsensical. So we got some uh, listener response. Yeah. Yeah. Listener John Rowe sent sent this tweet in, uh, a tweet by Joshua Ehrlich that compiled some of the just one week in the federal appellate court opinions, uh, Oklahoma City uh, cop who's moonlighting as a security guard, not even working as a cop, shines a flashlight into a parked car, startling a man who's been sleeping in the car with a, a gun in his lap or his waistband. The man allegedly reaches for his pistol. The officer shoots him nine times dead. Qualified immunity, uh, no constitutional violation here. This is a guy who's not even acting as a cop. He's literally working as a security guard, startles a guy who's asleep, says that the guy he startled reached for his gun, shoots him nine times. No constitutional violation. there. The Constitution has, has nothing to say, says the federal court, about this concept. Um, OK, uh, how about the 11th Circuit, which says, well, from this day forward, their opinion says it's unconstitutional for police to shoot 20 times at a driver coasting by them unthreateningly. However, since no previous case said that shooting 20 times at a driver coasting by the cops unthreateningly was a constitutional violation here, the cops that get qualified immunity, they can't be sued. But, you know, in the future, if someone coasts by the cops unthreateningly and gets shot at 20 times, that would be a constitutional violation. Now, if they get shot only 15 times, would it be different? I don't know. Maybe. Courts make this up. It's nonsense. It's total gibberish. Qualified immunity is insane. It's just a way for cops to be immune from prosecution. Why do we give it to them? It's unclear. It's hard to be a cop, they say. It's also hard to be a steel worker. I'm not sure why they get qualified immunity when they're the ones running around shooting people with guns and steel workers uh, are, are, are not like they're not empowered. They don't have extra responsibilities and get extra training and all the rest. Uh, for, it just keeps going. Um, a college student gets restraining order against ex-boyfriend who's broken her nose, pointed a gun at her head. He says that he's going to continue to stalk her. Um, the police uh, in uh, Michigan basically do nothing, uh, allegedly on the request of the stalker's father, who's a cop. Uh, for instance, they mail him uh, the mail, the stalker, the arrest warrant instead of just arresting him. Why you would want to embarrass your fellow cop by, you know, arresting the son who punched his girlfriend in the nose and broke her nose and pointed a gun at her head. Uh, The 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 stalker uh, kills the student on himself. Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals says, ah, you know, the the woman's family has no claim against the government. Qualified immunity. Uh, Okay, uh, last one. Fifteen year old taken from California against her will to Logan, Utah, at a residential treatment facility where she's repeatedly sexually abused. She files a timely lawsuit, timely meaning, you know, within the statute of limitations in California. The facility uh, on defense transfers the case to Utah where she was moved, where she was abused, you know, to after she was uh, taken against her will. She moves it to a Utah court where it's beyond the Utah state statute of limitations, number of years after the crime which you, in which you can bring uh, a lawsuit about that crime. Uh, the Utah court dismisses. It gets appealed to the Tenth Circuit. The Tenth Circuit says, yes, deciding which state's substantive law applies to a dispute with more than one state connection is complex. There are at least seven approaches in use among the 50 states about deciding which state's law to use, California, Utah, or whatever else. We're going to go with Utah here. 
the dissent said, ah, we would have gone with California. But since the majority said, we're going to go with Utah here, not California, she's barred. She can't bring her claim. This isn't a qualified immunity case. Yeah, that's more choice of law dispute than qualified immunity. Exactly. It's choice of law and deciding which law, uh, substantive law to use. But this is, you know, a week in the federal appellate courts. It's just a, a, a brutal parade of all the ways that the government says you don't have a claim, you can't sue, uh, you you have no rights uh, in this scenario, uh, back off, we're the enforcement arm um, of the executive branch or the judiciary branch. We're, we're the government, right? You're small, we're big. And this is, John is right, this it deserves highlighting. I mean, you need a world full of, dare I say it, more civil rights lawyers. You might you might you that might wouldn't look be too at many the, lawyers. The podcast name and say how how can you support more lawyers out there? But it's not just you know the the raw number of lawyers. It's also you know what people uh, choose to go into, what people choose to do with their time. And this guy Joshua Ehrlich, you know, highlighting this stuff. He's he's out in Virginia, uh, but he's a civil rights lawyer, and and he's you know I, he's doing God's work. He's highlighting the reality that it is incredibly hard for individuals to seek recourse uh, against the government or just against people who have wronged them uh, in this world. And this this is coming from me, a defense lawyer, right? I I'm the I'm the guy who's out there, you know, transferring cases right from from state to to federal court. I'm the guy moving cases around. I'm the guy defending uh, an insured. But you're uh, following the rules. Of course, absolutely. But, you know, if even I recognize that the deck is stacked against these folks, uh, then you should probably also recognize the deck is stacked against these folks. And by these folks, I mean us, everybody. And we thank uh, John Rowe for his input. And as Connor said, uh, we welcome anybody who is listening to the podcast. Uh, let us know well, what you think uh, in terms of topics and uh, angles on what we discuss. So uh, last lap here, uh, guess the verdict time. Connor, are you ready for this <sighs> yes, challenge? So ready. I give Connor the facts of a case and he guesses what the outcome was. Let's go to Atlanta, Georgia, shall we? Man, I'm ready. Man needs money there. He's not feeling too kindly toward his ex-wife. Sure. So he sends a nude picture of his ex to a magazine's Girl Next Door amateur erotic photo contest. Oh, no. And what do you know? He wins the $5,000 prize, takes care of his money worries for a while anyway. Now, as luck would have it, his ex-wife was scheduled to be married in two weeks when the magazine <sighs> hits the stands. Yeah, so she finds a lawyer. She files a lawsuit against her creative and lucky ex-husband. Yeah. So Connor. Um, who do you think won this intriguing legal battle? I think uh, I think it's a slam dunk uh, that that non consensually uh, shared photos, which most people would describe as revenge porn, is the, the way the way that it is described in, in uh, modern parlance. Um, uh, are gonna are gonna win on this one, and I think the court is gonna say she gets the prize money because that's just karmic justice. That's you shouldn't be able to profit off of a crime, right? You commit murder, you don't get to collect the insurance money, the life insurance money. That's just straightforward. You're right. Only you were on the low side. They gave her 45 times the prize money. Hell she won $225,000 for invasion of privacy and emotional distress. That's great. I mean, the, obviously, like the, the facts of the case are set up to explain to us, like, this guy doesn't have that money, obviously. But he wouldn't be selling this, this you know, uh, sub- desperately submitting this, uh, this picture for prize money if he had any money. Maybe he but, won the lottery the next week, so he'd be able to pay it off. And there we are. And it's the principle of the thing. That's that right. guy should win the lottery so that she can get the money. All right. That's it for the episode. We'll see you next time on Too Many Lawyers. Have a great week. Too Many Lawyers.